Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. My name is Elliot, and you are listening to the North American Waterfowler Podcast, episode number 24. Now, this is going to be part two of the Joel Strickland series. On episode number 23, we went all through Joel's life from the time he started waterfowl hunting down there in Stuttgart, Arkansas, clear up until his YouTube channel, Surviving Duck Season. Today, we are going to focus in on his gunning and ammo series that's on YouTube. And if you want to check those out, check, go to his YouTube channel and watch them. It is amazing content. So today's episode with Joel is just going to focus on shotgun. I think you're going to find it really, really interesting. And then on the third part of the Joel Strickland series, we are going to talk with him about what he's transitioning into, which is, I'm telling you, every man's dream. What he's doing right now is every man's dream. Every duck hunter's dream, I should say, for sure. So that'll be part three. So before we hop into that, I do want to let you know you can find more content over at patreon.com slash freelancedughunting where you can um, enter to join me on the podcast and also have a chance to win a hunt with me um, here in Kansas. It's the year three for the hunt giveaway. And if you want more freelance duck hunting content, you can find my hunts on Roku, Fire TV, which is the Amazon service, and Android TV. All you have to do is search duck hunting and you can find my videos over. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into it now. Joel Strickland, part two. And your YouTube channel has been very successful. And I definitely think that you absolutely have connected with your audience. Um, and I, I feel like since this last run of Gunning Series videos, it's kind of, in my mind, it has separated you. Because you're different than 
than channels like mine and Outdoor Limits and those guys because we are just a regular guy vlogging where you're a professional that's that is understands the production quality so, but it's it's different it's a different deal um but you fully understand how to connect with your audience and you've got that high production you know i feel like with this string of shotgunning videos you've just separated yourself and, and i see people talking about those videos on forums i see people resting them on facebook just offhandedly and I, I feel like that you were coming on strong but in my mind these this series has kind of taken the whole channel to the next level you, you know the the shotgunning series uh it just kind of evolved it, you know i like i said I, I i was duck guiding and i as i as i'm shooting shooting a gun uh i just felt like in the last several years really starting in about 2017 I really started like not liking my shotgun. I was shooting an mm -hmm. 870. It's a great right. gun. I, when I say I don't like it, it wasn't that it's not a good gun. It's a great gun. It's I, I had my gun since 1989. Okay, so 30 years or whatever. And so right. that that gun's been a great gun. I, it's 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 shot multiple deer. I don't know how many turkeys, all kinds of pheasants and upland birds and, and a gazillion ducks, mm -hmm. but. Uh, it just kicks like a mule. It's a pump shotgun, and it kicks like a mule. And I have just gotten tired of it beating me up. And and so I went on a quest to find what shotgun do I need. Now, mm -hmm. like most guys, and I think I can say this in, in honesty and not be speaking out of turn on it, but I think most guys, whether you've been duck hunting for three years or you've been duck hunting for 35 or 40 years, um, you probably don't know much that much about ammunition, ballistics, shotgunning stuff. I mean, you know how to kill a duck, right. you know, you may not be a good shot. You may be a good shot, but it's not just about being a good shot. I feel like that what the my, the way I was um, most of my life, I, I changed a lot 10 years ago. I started kind of slowly changing a little bit, but, but most of my life I would go to the store to buy ammunition and I might have a preference, but I didn't necessarily wasn't married to a particular brand or shell that I want to use, I'd say, well, that looks good, uh, or that's what's available, or that's a little bit less expensive, and I would go get that shell, a three-inch, it's all this is three-inch two or a three-inch three steel shot, that's what I'm going to get, Federal, Winchester, whatever, doesn't matter, and and I would go buy that shot, those that box of shells, and I would shoot my modified choke that was rusted into my gun that never <laughs> came out, Okay. Right. And that's what it was. That was my, and, and, and did I ever pattern my shotgun? No. Um, did I kill ducks? Yes. Was I, was I, you know, dead eye Strickland? No. I mean, I, I, I could hit them probably better than most guys cause I just hunted so much, but I wasn't like this, you know, I wasn't some competition shooter dude that could, you know, shoot, 24 out of 25 clays, you know, I wasn't like that. And so, uh, you know, it, and I, and I, you know, I even would shoot some clays and stuff and I'd do okay, but that's, that was the extent of my shotgunning and I didn't really understand much of any of it. And so, so with that backstory as in regard to that, 
uh, I wanted to find what shotgun do I need and how can I get a shotgun that's not going to beat me up. I I had not shot a, an auto loader very much. I'd shot some over-unders, which again, those kick like a mule. I'd shot, I bought a 20 gauge youth model uh, 870 and hunted with that for a while. And, and when, when you could get heavy shot and when it was good, when heavy shot was good and you could get it affordably, um, I shot 20 gauge, um, and man, we'd shoot number sixes and just roll them. And it was, it was great. And, and I did that for a while, but then when, when heavy shots started kind of going downhill with their recipe, you know, about 10 years ago, I, I just kind of got out of, out of buying it. And then it started getting so expensive too. And so, so, you know, so I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm back to the 12 gauge and it's beat me up. And what am I going to do? I'm going to get, you know, I got to find something that'll work. And then about that time in 2018, boss came out with two and three quarter inch bismuth. And I bought some, I heard about them coming out with them and literally they hadn't been out for, I mean, it was right, right at the beginning of hunting season. And so I bought a case of them and tried it out and it made a significant improvement in the kick, you know, and, and, and so I shot them and, and had a good, good success with it. And, but, but I still felt like I want to get an auto loader because mm-hmm. I know that an auto loader is going to kick less. And so over the next couple, two or three years, I started, you know, when a, when a hunter came, a lot of times hunters, when they come hunting with me, they would have more than one gun, not in the blind at the same time, but they would like, I brought my Beretta and my super black Eagle too, and my whatever, you know? And so I would, I, and I knew that about guys. And so I was like, can I borrow your shotgun, your other shotgun you're not using today? I just want to try it out because I'm looking for a new gun. Oh, yeah, everybody's always, you know, that way. And so I did that. And then I also had a buddy of mine that had a pawn shop, and he's got a ton of guns. And so I, I asked him, I said, hey, could I borrow some guns and shoot them for Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy for you to do that. And so, you know, I was already doing my YouTube channel thing and 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 kind of trying some guns out. And, and then uh, as I got to the point where I had chosen the gun I wanted to use after, I don't know, I think I'd tried like eight or nine different guns and found the one that was right for me. Uh, I, I, I learned so much about choosing a gun. And then I also learned a lot about ammunition because, um, just in, you know, I started patterning my gun a little bit cause I like to get that gun and here's how it feels. And I, it shoots off a little bit. And why is that happening? And just all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, People don't know this stuff because right. I would ask questions of people and very, very few people could tell me much. There would be a few guys that would tell me a lot about one thing, but they wouldn't know the other stuff. And so then I'd go find somebody else and they'd tell me about this thing, but they wouldn't know about the other stuff. And there wasn't anybody didn't have a well-rounded knowledge, at least in my circle at the time, not like my, my hunting buddies or guys that I come in contact with. They just didn't know. And, and so I was, I found myself doing a lot of research and learning things like that. And so I was like, I, I was talking, I was driving, we were driving somewhere, me and one of my camera guys, uh, Daniel, uh, were driving somewhere on a shoot some one day and, and, and he's a big shotgun guy. And, you know, he, he and I were talking about some of that stuff and he, he knew, he probably one of, was one of the most knowledgeable guys that I knew about that stuff. And, and I told him, I said, people don't know this stuff. He says, they don't know this stuff. And I said, I need to make some content talking about that. And I said, I need to make three videos. 
about shotgunning. And I kind of, and I told him, I said, what do you think? He said, I think that's a great idea. I said, it'll be like a little shotgunning series. I'm like, okay. And, and I had it, I kind of detailed out some things. And the first one was going to be a shot about shotguns and how to get a shotgun. The second one was going to be about ammunition and how to choose the right ammo for you. And the third one was going to be about choke tubes. And, and after I started, and this was, this was like in February of 2020. So that's wow. three years ago now. Okay. That is unbelievable. And, and so I started three writing on, yeah, I started writing on it. And the more I started writing, the bigger it got. And okay, it's not three videos, it's five videos, it's nine videos. It's, and I mean, I How put many out is it nine. Be? Do you, even, do you well, even have an end point? Because we're yeah, still I, going. We're at nine, and I think we're at nine. Yeah, we're at nine right now, and and I I I feel like that I am at a point of completion for the first round. That is the most. <laughs> yeah. It's the most comprehensive um, stuff enough to get you going. For right. I mean, it is. It's a lot, but there. But I also know that there are enough topics that I have discovered or things that I want to know about or, or have learned or people have asked questions since I put these videos out, there's enough content that I could produce that goes along with this to completely just do an entire YouTube channel about it, producing a video a week for probably five years, maybe more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could make hundreds of videos about it. Now I'm not going to do that. At least that's not my plan right now. I still feel like I'm going to continue doing some of the types of things that I'm doing. I don't feel, I don't know. I mean, I say every time I put a video, I was like, well, that I tell, I tell the guys that are helping me, I was like, well, the next one's not going to be quite as in depth and it's not going to be taking quite as long. And it's because I mean, they, these things take me so much time to do, but, and so I, I say that again, as I'm telling you and whoever's listening to this, to this podcast, but that, that I don't know that I'm going to have another 30 minute video, but I know that that may be, that may not be true. It probably, they may be some more really, really in depth ones, but there are tons of, con, uh, of concepts and, and ideas and, and this versus this and, and that, that I haven't done yet that I am going to do. And I probably would safely say that a minimum of six videos a year for the rest of my life and, yeah. and, and not just little snippet deals. I mean, f fairly substantial amount of content, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's been some guys that have asked about what about back boring? What about force cone work, you know, lengthening your forcing cone and, and things like that. Is there, you know, yes, I'm going to be doing that. I've, I've done that already as far as, the 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 research and and what we've learned from from those things uh that that stuff is definitely down the road there's some more things that i want to detail a little bit more you know like the you know showing more about the differences between the ported tube versus the the, the ones that are smooth tubes mm -hmm. and 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 the recoil stuff you know uh porting your barrel versus a smooth barrel that kind of deal uh, there's there's some of those kind of things we're going to do, uh, and 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 the, and the one thing that I that I am looking forward to doing, and I and I hope we're going to do that this year, is rent that slow mo camera again, mm -hmm. and do a little bit more on the on the shot string, and and I'll tell you uh, as I've produced some of this content and reading the the uh the comments that we get from them it, it's just 
so, I mean, there's a lot of encouragement, which is, which is awesome. And I appreciate it so much. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of, there's, there's a disconnect somewhere and, and I try to, I hope it's not me. Um, no, there's because, no way it's you yeah, <laughs> because no it, it's, you. it's like, I read the comments. I'm like, did you just watch the video or have you, did you miss part of the video? Cause they'll, they'll make things. It's like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? And, and, and I even, I think I called, I called some people out on one video where I did that, but, but it, you know, and, and so where you were being the CJ, the internet guy. That <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it was CJ. Wasn't that his L- name? LJ. 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 Yeah. 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 And, and so that was such the... a creative way though. So for those of you that haven't seen that video, um, and I don't even remember which video that fell into there. there well, I think I did that on two vi- one. I did, I did some of that on, the the second shot string video the one where we did the pattern master stuff that right. was we did that on that video and then there was another video a little bit later it might have been the speed the speed video where we talked about speed and ballistic gel and yeah. stuff like that the thing yeah. that was so masterful about that as youtube creators if people if if they say this isn't true they're just lying the comments the annoying comments are just there's just some comments that are annoying right there's so many great ones but some of it's just so ridiculously annoying and you did such a masterful job at mocking it a little bit and letting a little bit of your annoyance out but you did it in such a classy way <laughs> that it was fine it was wonderful i love that it, it, you know it uh, sometimes i wish I, i've thought about this i've thought about like i'm gonna do a video one day like the 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 dumbest comments or the worst comments or the comments <laughs> that made me mad or whatever you know doing a video right, about that right. and I wish sometimes I wish that I would like roll a camera when I'm reading comments and just like because sometimes I just get so mad it's just yeah. you know you know what I'm talking about and, and but like and so what I was going to say is when when we did this the the shot string video the first one the, the some there were some people that just come up with some of the craziest ideas with saying what they thought they were looking at. And Mm -hmm. I've tried my very best to be extremely objective through the entire shotgun series and not look like I had this preconceived idea about any of it. Okay. And I wanted to, to be objective. I wanted, you know, to, to not lead the viewer to believe something because I had an agenda or anything like that. And so, so, you know, I, I, when I did the shot string video, I tried to, I tried to do a little bit more than go, here it is. What do you think? And not just do that. I wanted to kind of tell them what I thought we were seeing and what we Mm -hmm. did and maybe talk about some of the math and and that sort of thing. But it's still, you know, at the end of the day, I probably should have gone just a little bit more to to define what we felt like we were seeing but we did, and so I, I cleaned some of that up in the second video. Um, you right, know, let me stop kinda, you for just a second because yeah. I want to make sure for those of you that have not seen this the the video, what Joel did is he rented the most expensive slow mo camera on the, that he could get his hands on, and he what was it one hundred eighty six thousand frames per second? Is that what it was? We we were we were shooting. Um, we shot at 147 and 180 and then 230,000, all that thousand frames. So 230,000 okay, right. frames a second. Yeah. Right. And so that allowed him to slow down the shot string. And the shot string is when your shot comes out of your barrel, 
all of the BBs, how far they are, how, how, how long it takes them to hit the target. And it's the first time that anyone has ever seen a shot string like that. And there's been all sorts of debate about what the shot string was. So literally Joel was doing something that had only been speculated about in the history of shotgun shells and breaking it down. So in case you didn't know what that was, Anyway, go, go ahead. Yeah, well, and, you know, just to go along with that, I, I, I'll say this, and I said this on the video, but uh, when I was a, I don't know, I was probably in my early 20s, I read an article, so this would have been, you know, somewhere around 1990 or something, I had read an article about the shot string, and it was, you know, I don't really exactly remember what all it went into, because, but there there are different philosophies you know, at the time, and, you know, I think we've corrected that now. I feel like we've answered the question, but but the idea was, um, is the shot string, does the shot string matter, you know, when you're shooting at a, at a target flying through the air, you know, uh, whether it's a, a clay target or a duck or a dove or whatever. And and so that means that as the, as the pellets grow, as they leave the shotgun, they're getting longer and longer, and they get wider and wider, which creates your pattern. You know, is that is it possible that your that a bird could only hit part of the pattern, the front part of the shot string, and mm-hmm. and miss the back part, or hit the back part of the shot string, or the center, and not all of it? Is that possible? And so, therefore, is it important that we try to figure out how to shorten the shot string? so that we can have more pellets on target. And so some people believe that that a longer shot string is better because it handicaps you. It helps you to maybe miss a little bit, but you can still hit it. And some right. people say, oh, no, that's terrible. You want as many pellets as you can on target because you want to be able to kill it and crush the bird or the clay or whatever you're shooting at. And so that was been the, been the, the, the idea. And different guys, and I'll, I'll show you... This book right here, this is Shotgunning, uh, The Art and Sciences by Bob Brister. Bob Brister, as well as some contemporaries at his time back in the 60s and 70s, as well as guys, you know, from before that. So you got Joel, John Olin of Winchester. Uh, they actually created ammunition to help what they felt like was shortening the shot string. And so that's been a thing for you know, since the 50s, I guess, I don't know, maybe longer than that, but um, certainly from the 50s, and then they started bringing it out in articles and in this book um, in the 70s, and and so there's pictures in the book that show snapshots in high-speed photography of what the shot string looked like, and so he did these, these uh, you know, these crazy antics in in demonstrating and trying to demonstrate shot string, which I'll, and then I'll get into all that, but I, you know, he made some assumptions based on what he saw. And so I, you know, I, for, I don't know, probably three or four years, I thought, man, it'd be really cool if you could shoot video of the shot string. And I know that the pattern master people had, they have some slow-mo footage on that I've seen somewhere, but you can't see it. It's like, it's slow-mo footage, but what am I looking at? It doesn't, it doesn't even anything. do anything. It just looks like a blur of something happening. And it does like, well, and then, and then of course they do have some still pictures that, that supposedly show that they shorten the shot string. And so anyway, I, the first video we, we did and we, we, we showed the shot string and we, we did what we did. And then, and then I got all this 
these comments about, you know, well, we think that looks like this. Well, that looks great. Well, that looks terrible. Well, that looks bad. And making all these comments about different types of ammunition or whatever. And, and they felt like that they were seeing something that there's no way that they could have saw that. There's no way that they could draw that conclusion based on what little bit that they saw and certainly mm -hmm. not what I was telling them. And so I kind of called them out on the next video and then we talked some more about it and I'd produce some math. And then I, you know, basically what we did was we, we proved that, okay, here's the math, here's what we see, and here's what happens with a shorter shot string or not a shorter shot string. Can we shorten the shot string? Can Pattermaster do that? Well, no, they can't. A wad stripping mm -hmm. choke actually doesn't help that case. It actually makes it worse in a lot of instances. It's just as likely to make the shot string longer than it does make it shorter. And it, when it did their, make it shorter, it was very little. Was if they can get the wad off of the shot faster, then it's the, the string is going to be shorter. That was their right. hypothesis, right? Or and, that was what they were claiming happened. So, so the very first few shots that we did with the slow mo camera, um, and 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 I'll, I'll I'll let me just start off by saying this: if you can imagine shooting forty yards, hundred and twenty feet, okay, and if you were standing looking perpendicular to a guy so a guy is look is out in front of you to the left and he's looking across to the right and there's the target so that's really really wide field of view so if you're going to take a picture you're going to have to have a wide angle lens to see that if you want to see the entire shot string so what i wanted to do was show the shot string the entire shot string and then i realized really quickly that that's impossible because it's so wide and those pellets are so tiny that there's no way you could see it I mean, if you were shooting in like 20K resolution or something that's not even been invented yet, maybe we could do that, but we're so far away from that being a reality. So what we decided was we're going to get the camera close and and then record different parts of the shot string. So we're going to shoot at the target or at the at the muzzle and then get the first like five or six feet and then move and get the next five or six feet. And we didn't do it all the way down the line. We started to do that, and we realized that there's, that's, there's no value to seeing that. But mm -hmm. we, we, we did like five feet and then 10 feet, and then we'd move to 10 yards and then 20 yards and then 30 yards and then 40 yards at the target, which was at 40. And then we could take the data that we would see and see how the shot string grew and see what the pellets were doing. Are the pellets hitting each other? I thought that's what was going to happen. And so the very first shots we pulled were at the muzzle, and we noticed right away that when the, when the pellets and the wad and all that comes out of the barrel, um, the first thing that happens is the wad starts to open up, and then the pellets separate from the wad. Well, it, very little difference in any of the wads at the first five feet. They all separate at, like, the three-foot mark. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember. And there are loads of claims from companies that their that they their product does a better job of this, and it yeah. just turned out to be inaccurate. And, I, and I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I mean, it, this is the criteria. What we're talking about. This one one metric we're talking about is is the shot string, you know, mm -hmm. or the separation. Um, the separation and the shot string um, is. The, the wad 
I'm sure it has an effect on it, but it but at the but at the end of the day, it doesn't have the effect that what everybody is trying to do, you know, based specifically on the wad. If they're you know, like there's I'm trying to remember which wad it is now. Um I don't it might be it's not blindside, it's the wad for uh, black cloud. I think it's a black cloud wad. Um that was probably the only wad that I remember that held on to the shot a lot longer. Okay, it's a different kind of wad. Um, I can't remember what they call it now, but it's a, it's a specific type of wad that it's got a little wings that flip open and it's got the cup is a little bit deeper. And so it, 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 it's almost like it kind of reminds you of like a, a slug because it goes quite a bit further before it starts separating. And, and so, you know, now the wads do definitely make a difference in, in, in the performance of what the shot does, whether it be... Um, you know, the patterning of it, you know, I mean, this is a main deal. And, and so, you know, but as far as the shot string, uh, you know, it's, again, we, we proved, like I said, we, we proved at the end of the day that, that there's just not, a, there's, there's, you, you, we haven't seen anybody that can change the shot string with any, you know, substantial amount. I mean, we're talking 10% and it's haphazard. I mean, it's like, it works for this ammo, but it doesn't work for that ammo. So it's like it's not going to be consistent. And even if it is, we're talking it, it took a, a, a nine-foot shot string and made an eight-foot shot string. Well, that doesn't, but whoop-de-doo, you know, that's not big. Um, and so uh, so that, you know, so when we, we, we put that out there and we kind of nailed that down and said, okay, here's the math, here's, here's look at what we did, and, and then on top of that, here's, what we determined that even if you could shorten the shot string, it wouldn't matter. The only way it would matter is if your target was flying like 200 miles an hour and you were shooting at like a hundred plus yards. Well, nobody's doing that. So therefore at 30, 40, 50 yards, which is what your normal range of shooting a duck is, you're not, you're not going to matter. Even if you could shorten the shot string, it would matter. Because all so the pellets why, are going to hit the bird, whether it's a seven-foot shot string or a 15-foot shot string. They're it's all moving gonna, so quickly compared to the bird's movement that it's going to every pellet's going to have impact regardless of whether yeah. it's shorter or longer. Right? That's what that's what we've that's what we've determined with with all the different testing we've done and the math. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. If you do the math... And, and we did the math before we even pulled the cam- before we pulled that camera out. We did the math, and mm-hmm. the math said that it doesn't matter. And then, yeah. but then we but but as human beings, we want to see it. Don't don't give me a formula. Most people don't the math thing. They don't you know they don't sometimes they. But they you don't put the graphics it. with it too, and that was yeah. extremely helpful because it's not like. It's not like you just did the math. You did the math and you showed graphics with it that fully detailed the math, right? And so to me, yes, 
when I see stuff like that, I don't see that as an opinion type of work. I no, mean, I, I, it's it's like okay, I, it's it's extremely convincing in the way it's done. Well, and and so the comments from the first video were, like I said, they were making assumptions. Then the second video, uh, I, I mean, I still get people. I mean, of course, people are commenting on that video nearly every day, even though that video has been out for I don't know eight or nine months or whatever it is. But but they the comments still come in every once in a while i'll get somebody talking about the shot string and it matters and i'm like mm -hmm. did you not watch the video did you not just see me spend three minutes detailing right. out why it doesn't matter and so anyway what i was getting to is in in my future content i am going to um do another test and show people so that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that dang shot string is not going to matter. I'm going to be able to see the target moving through the air and the pellets, all of them hitting in that little bit of window where it moves across. And then they'll Joel, I hate to break this to you. You're still not going to convince everybody <laughs> because this is as I grow older, you're just a couple years older than me. I graduated in 91. And, and as I grow older, what I've come to realize, it's like when people want to believe something, it doesn't matter how much logic, how much facts you put right in front of them, even in the most loving way. If they want to believe it and they've decided it, damn it, that's what they're going to believe. And it, you will probably win over 95% of the people. You should. I mean, it should be 100%. But there's, there's still going to be those people that just are like set in stone. Here's the deal. Um the truth is that we are so brainwashed by by companies, and I'm not talking about Pattern Master. I'm talking about everything. Everything. Yeah, when you say we, I know you mean all of us are. All right? of us. I we are right. all that way. We yep. we we believe a marketing message. We hear we hear a marketing message, and some people believe it immediately because something was told to them in a convincing way. They were something was proved or whatever in that marketing message. But then there's also a guy that hears the marketing message. Maybe this will work. He tries the thing out and some, and he has success right. the first time he uses it. And therefore he has sold himself, even though locked. it's not, it's, it may not, what happened may not be what he, what he thought happened. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's what it, you know, but you know, so, the, the reality is this, like you said, there, there are people that are going to believe what they believe, no matter how much convincing you're going to convince them of, there are still flatlanders out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love when your points, like, like you said, though, if it works for you and you're confident, because con and just like in baseball, basketball, confidence is a huge part of accuracy, whether it's shooting or batting or, and if you have confidence in like a pattern master choke and you feel good about it, you probably will shoot better about it just because of your mental, mental confidence is, is an amazing factor. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, confidence in shooting is a, is a lot. And, and just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't understand the psychology. I just don't understand how that people, I mean, and it's, it's not just pattern master. It's, it's jebs and it's, kicks and any of them. I mean, you, that, that, and, and 
I mean, some of, some of those, some choke tubes are pretty good. Some of them are not good at all, but people still have this believability. I think, I think with the, with the pattern master tube and some of the other ones, it's a hot core is what, is what they get when they're shooting it. And a hot core, what I mean by that is, is that the pattern is very, very dense right in the middle. It may mm. not be a great pattern. Okay. If you look at it on a pattern board, you'll see a really hot spot in the middle or wherever, you know, a hot spot in the, in the pattern. And then there's holes in the pattern and little dots and whatever. And so mm. that's why they experience this thing that they talk about. It's like, well, I'm either, I either kill them or I miss them, you know, right. and maybe they do, or maybe they don't, maybe they hit them, but the bird just flies off and doesn't look like they got hit, you know, right. but that's, I think that's what happens is they got, it's got such a hot core that, you know, they don't have a very big margin of error. I mean, it's a very small, it'd be, you know, like a, like a little saucer, you know, at 30 or 40 yards. And when they hit them and man, they blow them up. But yeah. I can show you that, you know, if you pattern your gun properly and get the right tube and the right ammo combination with your, with what you're doing, that you can have a, a hammer dead duck and it don't have to, that pattern don't look like that. It's a nice, even pattern all the way across. Right. Yeah. And I would just encourage anyone who's not seen this video series it's it's almost to me it's mandatory viewing um it just is for everything from how to catch a shotgun to the ammo to the choke tubes to the shot string to the speed energy and penetration it's absolutely mandatory viewing for any serious waterfront if you have not seen it i will i'll drop the playlist on the pod or the facebook podcast group north american waterfowl podcast group i will put up the whole um, playlist on there and you can go and just watch them one after another i had seen them previously but leading up to this i just watched them all one night after the other and um this is high praise my, my my wife was sitting there doing her illustrations and i find her actually making comments and listening to it and i can tell you when it comes to watching waterfowl content my wife isn't exactly the, the demographic that wants to do that so <laughs> Right on. Yeah. My so wife is, well knows more done. about shotgunning than she ever cared, thought she ever cared <laughs> yeah, to. <laughs> yeah. But it's just so informative. I do have a couple of key areas I want to hone in on that I want to okay. talk about of um, notions that I had always had and, and my father kind of talked him specifically speed when it comes to steel. And I, I want to get your take on this. So mm-hmm. when I, I started duck hunting, I don't know if it was 90 or 91. So it was right, I mean, right after they banned lead. I never, hmm. my dad hunted ducks with lead. I never did because I started, hmm. What did they ban it in 90? Wasn't that the last year of lead, if I'm not mistaken? 1991 was, I think, when the entire country, like that was the first year that, that you had to shoot lead. We, we started in Arkansas, it was like 80, yeah, I'm sorry, steel. Yeah, they banned lead. And I think in Arkansas, we started, they started phasing it out in a number of states. Arkansas was one of the first ones, and I think it was 87 or 88 was they started phasing it out. And so we were, I think we were done with lead by like 89, I think. But yeah, so sorry, right. 91 was the, was the national. So that band. was basically my first year of really getting into waterfowl hunting. We are switching over from upland into waterfowl. My dad got a pointing lab. Um, and then we didn't hardly use the pointing part anymore because we got into waterfowl hunting and we were just mm. like pretty much done. But 
the first couple of years we were wounding birds with our steel we were shooting federals i can't remember the size maybe twos and we were just wounding especially mallards it was just couldn't kill them and so my dad started reloading and he he read and read a lot of information at the time and the, and the theory was it was the speed was the problem that if you can get the speed up then steel will kill them and so he started reloading and and he was actually using the buffering as well because the, everyone thought that the all the buffering that they put in there if i'm not mistaken correct me if i'm wrong this stuff um everyone thought the pellets banged together and and in flight which you showed, showed that they didn't and so the buffering was supposed to help that consistent pattern because the the bbs wouldn't hit against each other and ricochet around mm-hmm. um so he was using that and I don't remember what speed he got it up to, but he got these shells, at least based on the math he was using. We, we didn't have any way to test whether the shells were actually doing this or not, but he got the shells up to a range that he felt, I think maybe it was in the 1400s, if I'm not mistaken, he got it up to. I think those first shells were maybe in the low 13s. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not positive. I'm, I'm trying to mm-hmm. And when we got the speed up, we felt like, or he felt like, he was a scientist, he has uh almost a chemistry um masters i mean he's really the mathematically minded and so our perception was that we were killing ducks now because we got the the steel speed up and then when the industry caught up with his reloading and started producing at least they said they were producing a lot faster steel shells and it became not that economically um helpful to reload yourself we switched over to federal twos and most of those were about 15 and up till like you may be changing my mind with this conversation because i've i've since and like i don't want to shoot anything under 15 if i can get 1500 feet per second if i can get 1550 that's the better but i had heard that like the 1700 stuff that that's stay away from because it just does weird stuff. So my what I wanted to be in was nothing below 1475, but I really wanted 1550 feet per second. And I was always using the Federal 2s um, blue, uh, blue, gosh, what's name? blue, what's the name of the field? Blue box? Blue box? Blue box, blue box. Yeah. And so all I cared about was the speed. I didn't care about two and three eighths. I didn't care about, the load size, one and one eighth, one is all about the speed. So from your videos, it seems like maybe that we were a little bit off during that whole time. Break down everything I said, and if it's completely false, tell me. So um, I don't, rem- I don't really know what the speed of of lead ammo was back in the late eighties or whatever. I I feel like it was like 1100 feet a second, something like that. And so, you know, when they started doing steel shot, um, it's probably a safe bet that they were using lead recipes and, and putting steel in there. And so therefore the slower steel in the early days was, was it performed horribly. I, I can remember the first hunts that I went on with steel shot. It was unbelievable i mean you just you could see the pelotinum you could see feathers flying and those jokers would just fly off and then you know of course we hunted in big rice fields and sometimes you could see for three four five hundred yards and you'd see them fold up way the heck over there and then you know and then you gotta i mean i didn't have a dog back then that would do that you know now i do but you know that's so you'd lose birds you know and and so 
the the speed that they that they went to, and I, and I've, I'm, I don't I don't know the the time frame because I I know that you know if you look at at some of Tom Roster's research um, from back in the '60s and 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 '70s uh, with the speed, uh, they they were they recognized that there was a difference in the speed and that they were trying to get the speed up. But I don't know what that means when they say speed up. I, I, I guess I probably should, should, I could research that and find out, but I, that wasn't something that I was really trying to focus on. But, but yeah, I, I think that, that there was definitely a speed issue, but I think it was under speed way under what it should have been. And then because of the, the components that they're working with compared to what we have today, you know, they're not, they're not putting buffering in steel shot. You know, it doesn't, there's no need for it because the, the, the pellets are, 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 you know, they're hard and they're not going to be deformed and, and the buffering helps softer material, you know, to, to pattern better and to, and to protect it a little bit. And that's kind of, you know, my understanding on what, on the buffering issue is I, you know, none of the, none of the steel shot that I opened up and I opened up a buku of it, you know, none of it had buffering in it. And so I, I know that, that some of the, the uh, the tungsten does, and uh, some of the bismuth has has buffering in it. Uh, I the, you know uh, heavy shot had at some, at one time used flaxseed as buffering in some of their steel shot loads, which that makes no absolutely no sense. Um, but you know, but other than that, I didn't I didn't find any like like the silica type you know mm. type uh, buffering. But the uh, the speed that we determined, you know, because we we tried or we shot uh, seventeen hundred feet a second. I don't remember if we have anything any faster than that. But we did we did the hyper. I think it was a hypersonic uh, Remington. I believe is a seventeen hundred. We did that. Uh, we did some 16 something, 16 or 1650. I can't remember. Maybe it was a federal or I can't remember which one it was. It was that fast. And then, and then a lots of 15 and 1550, lots of it. Most of what's on the market is 1450 to 1550. That's pretty much standard. Uh, that, that, um, that is, you know, what everybody believes that they need is somewhere around that 1500 mark. Uh, when we started looking at the speed um, in comparing 1350 steel shot and 1500 or 1550 steel shot and even the 1700 stuff, uh, drastic difference in your patterning. Okay. And so if you, uh, not, not to say that you can't dial in your gun and your, your, your choke and all that to make it shoot good. But if you're trying to compare a, a faster load and a slower load and, and trying to get it dialed in, you're, you're have more of work to do to get a faster load to pattern. Well, okay. Uh, and, and so we found that almost every time the slower pattern, the slower, slower, um, shot shells pattern better than the faster ones almost every single time now. But so, so if you, if, if getting, if wing shooting is about getting, a good pattern so that you can effectively have enough pellets to hit a kill area on a duck or whatever you're shooting at. If that's the game, that's what you're trying to do. Then you got to focus on your pattern. So how can we get the great pattern and then 
how do we get the energy transferred into the into the bird so it will kill it? You got to have the penetration. Once it hits the bird, is it going to go inside and do the damage that you want it to do? And so that's in that video that we did. You know, we talked about about speed and energy, and and we talked about ballistic gel and and all that. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of formulas, and and so there is not a formula that I can come up. I've talked with with like tenured professors that have written all kinds of crazy, you know, papers on all kinds of stuff about ballistics. And when you ask them about the energy, you know, from a pellet going into a bird and can you make an equation about that, that you can predict what it's going to do. It's like, no, we don't know what that is. It's just because there's too many variables because you're not, you don't have one single projectile like you do with a rifle or a slug that goes downrange and you can predict it based on barometric pressure and wind and altitude and the way that the powder and the rifling and the bore barrel and all that, you know, you can't do that with, because you've got 90 to 300 and something pellets, depending upon what size your load is and what size the pellets are, different little individual pellets that are flying through the air that, it's random. It's a random deal. You can, you know, when that's what we, we discovered that even though there's a lot of randomness and the, the, there's slight differences and maybe that pellet may have a little bit of a not perfectly round. Uh, and so that causes it to fly a little different. And because of that, the drag that it creates create causes the one behind it to fly a little different. I mean, there's so much of that that you just cannot possibly make an accurate prediction on everything. However, there is enough consistency in what we've learned that in the things that we tested for, the different ammo and choke tubes and distances, that you shoot a load three or four times at the same distance with the same tube, you can know what that is going to do for you and your gun. This is what it is. Uh, And and so if if you shoot four times, you should have four, you know, shots that look relatively close to the same. There might be one anomaly that looks way better or way worse. You throw that one away, and and you you go with the three that most that look the same, you know, and that's what you get. And so, um, there's enough consistency that we can predict that it looks pretty good. But you're never going to dial it in like you would a rifle. It's just impossible. So, you know, like I said, we we definitely found that that. 1300 1350 you know was was definitely the sweet spot in the speed you you can find that with steel shot people say well you can't find yes you can i mean uh dry lock winchester dry lock you know whatever number twos threes whatever um in a one and three eighths is a that was one of the better steel loads that we found it's i think it's a 1350 feet a second and it patterned better, you know, now again, it's a rounder pellet too. It's a rounder pellet than the expert load. The expert load has got a lot of jaggies and missized shot in the, in a, in a load and all that. The rounder, the pellet, the better it's going to pattern. We know that from what we, what we, uh, our research that we did, but the, uh, you know, there's, there's a Fiocchi golden waterfowl, um, that is also a 1350 feet a second. Uh, and uh, there's several others out there, you know, there's, 
there's plenty that you can find that will shoot the slower pellet and and then so then at the once you once you determine okay can we create a good pattern then what about the energy do you have enough right. energy to kill it and that's what that's where everybody gets to and so you have to look at the math again um at 40 yards uh depending upon the size of the pellet you know you it'd be great if you could shoot for number 4 steel shot because you got enough pellets to really make a decent pattern but mm-hmm. once you start getting past about 30, 35 yards, it, it's just there's not a, not enough energy with the number four. And so that's why you go to a three or you go to a two. And so right. you've got enough energy. But, you know, if you and this is what I tell people, you know, if you are shooting steel shot inside 40 yards, you never pull the trigger past 40 yards. Mm-hmm. Then the energy that you get off of a of whatever. I mean, and especially when you start getting at 30 yards, you start saying, well, I never shoot past 30 yards. I mean, a lot of people say that I, I don't believe that yeah, is, don't is the case for most people. You know, yeah. I, we'd all love for that to be the truth, but the reality is, is that, uh, you know, he came into 30 yards and you pulled the trigger and you missed, or you shot his buddy and you want to shoot him now. And, and it's been a second and a half and they can fly pretty fast, pretty far in a yeah. second and a half. And the yeah. second shot is 40 and the third shot is 52. 50. Right. You know, you, you and, might, you might say, I never shoot the first shot past 30 yards. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, I think that, uh, it, it's, it, it's a trade-off. We talk about that throughout the shotgunning series. Everything's a trade-off. So you go bigger with steel shot well, or with any, any type of shot, but especially with steel shot, you got to go bigger. So you have enough energy to be able to penetrate and to transfer into the bird to kill it, um, the further out you go, the further distance you're shooting, the bigger pellet you have to have. The bigger pellet you have, the less pellets that are in the shot shell, and the mm-hmm. less pellets you have, the more of a chance of there being a hole in the pattern and it not pattern well. And the 40-yard mark is kind of that, you know, that's kind of the line. I mean, yeah, there are people going to argue and say, oh, I can shoot steel shot at 50 yards. Okay. Go ahead. I mean, and, and, and there, you know, there are people that can effectively do that. What I, what I have tried to accomplish and what I think I have accomplished in my shotgunning series is to show people what is going to be best for the masses, for the majority of people. Yes, there are guys out there that are competition shooters that can shoot a long way that have their, their, their thing dialed in. They shoot a lot. They shoot a lot of trap. They shoot a lot of skeet and they're good and they can shoot smaller and they choke it really down tight and they are effective at maybe 40 or 50 yards or maybe even further. But the majority of people are not going to be that because they're not going to put in the time to be effective at a long range. Personally, for me, I'm not I'm not good enough to do that. I probably could be if I wanted to be, but I don't give a flying flip about pass shooting a duck at 50 yards. That doesn't do a right. flip. That doesn't do anything for me. It's all about right. a close encounter to me. So I'm uh-huh. always wanting that 20 yard chop, but I'm willing to take him at 35 or 40. And that's yeah. so, so I have to build myself a, a, a load, a, a combination that I'm going to be shooting most of the time inside 30, but sometimes because I'm a guide, I'm going to be playing cleanup and I'm going to be shooting them at 50. I can't be shooting number four 
steel shot or even number three steel shot at 50 yards with a lot of consistency. And that's why, you know, I made my choice to be shooting non-steel a long time ago. I started shooting heavy shot and some other types of tungsten blended, you know, um, polymers and whatnot. And then I shot a lot of, uh, uh, bismuth back in the day. And then, you know, I'm, that's kind of where I'm back now. I'm shooting a lot of bismuth now. That's, that's my choice. I feel like it's for the price and the, the, the trade-offs and all for me and being able to shoot smaller and shoot smaller loads, shoot 20 gauges and 28 gauges and things like that and be effective that way for me, that's what I like. And that's my choice. Uh, and, and so that's really the whole shotgun series came out because I wanted to find out what was going to be best for me. And I thought, well, gosh, most people don't even know. I'm going to help them figure out what's best for them. And through that process, we tried several different guns, not a ton, but several different guns, but, but 20 something, 25 different loads, different types of ammunition and 40, I think 44 chokes is what it wound up being. It started off being, I was just going to do like 28 or something. And then I just kept, Kept buying choke tubes. <laughs> <laughs> so let me summarize what I think I hear you saying and ask you a couple questions about it. So with my particular mm-hmm. instance, when steel first came on the market, it probably was the speed is why we weren't killing them. And my dad probably got us up to the point quickly that was a lot more killable. He, mm-hmm. he had us somewhere in the 1300s or 1400s. So mm-hmm. what he did probably did make a huge difference. But at this point in time, if you are going to stay under 40 yards, you feel like a shell that's 1350 is going to be a better choice than a 1550 because it's going to have a better pattern. And inside of 40, it still has that killable, it still has enough energy to kill them dead and has a better pattern. Yeah, totally. And, you know, if you look at the at the video that I did on the, the speed and energy, we did we did the differences between... Like if you if you shot tungsten or TSS or uh, bismuth or steel shot, and so the different density of pellets certainly fly differently. And then you have the muzzle velocity of whatever it is, 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever. And then the downrange velocity, the speed at the target at 20 or 20, 30, 40, whatever distance you are. And you can tell that, you know, right out the gate, obviously, they're all going to be the same thing at, at um, you know, 10 yards. Steel shot typically is faster than everything else, but you can look how fast it's starting to slow down. It's just, it's unbelievable how much it slows down. Mm-hmm. And then by the time it gets to 30 and 40 yards, it's traveling at the same speed or slower than the other ammunition. And so like you can, you can do like, I, I did a deal. Like I think I, we were doing um, boss bismuth. It was shot at 1350 versus like a 1550 or something on a steel load. And, and at 40 yards, the, they were, the, they were exactly the same in the speed. So therefore the energy that the steel has is way less because we know that the density of that steel is so much inferior to bismuth. The, the TSS yeah. stuff is off the charts, you know, mm-hmm. TSS, you know, its density is 18 grams per cubic centimeter. A number nine pellet is super duper tiny, but it's got way more energy at 40 yards than a 
I think like a BB does on a, on a steel shot. And it's, and that's why you can shoot a Turkey at like 80 yards with numbers eights or something and kill them, you know, and you'd never have a, I mean, you're not even going to have a pattern with steel shot at that distance. One thing you mentioned that I had never thought about or realized is that the penetration power of a small, of a smaller shot is so much greater because it's smaller so all of the energy is condensed into that small little shape and so it actually penetrates much more effectively than a bigger shot i just never even thought about that or that was that blew my mind at that point yeah it the if if you have if you have um a a smaller size pellet will be you know like i said it's more more um more i can't remember the wording that 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 we we came up with on it, but it, it's it's basically it's just it's more effective, you know. If you if you have a a number a number four and a number three, the number four is a little bit smaller. If if it's you know it's gonna it's gonna get into the animal a little bit easier, and so that's why you know you can you even though you feel like that, um, like say maybe like a number five bismuth or a number seven or a number nine TSS, it's a lot smaller. Um, and you can come up with an equivalent in energy with steel shot at some point, whatever that is, whether it's, it's three, four, five or two threes or BBs or whatever, you know, you're going to find the equivalent that the energy should be the same. However, the smaller pellet will definitely be, more ballistically superior because when it hits the animal, it's because it's smaller by nature, it's going to get mm-hmm. in there and it will transfer the energy better. And on top of that, it's heavier. Yeah. It's going to hit hard. Well, if it, but it, even if, even if the density was the same because a BB and a, I don't know what the equivalent is, but just say a BB at a certain distance, comparing it to like a number seven TSS, mm-hmm. you know, they may be the same amount of energy, but, you know, and he may even weigh, I don't know, well, I don't know what the weight difference is, but the, the energy is, is, is supposed to be the same on math, in the math. But then, again, it just even doesn't matter if, if it's equal, the smaller one is going to penetrate and therefore will transfer right. its energy into the, into the animal. So do you feel like that, and before you answer the question, I'll give you my, um, my thought on it, because I used Boss for two years and I kept really, really detailed notes on my app. Um, and, and then the next two years I used federal. So I've got four years in a row, two with boss, two without, so I can really get a good comparison of it. Um, oh, I can't remember the point what it was. Well, let me, so I'll just go right into this. Um, my, my numbers now I am about as conservative a shooter as, as you will meet. I mean, mm-hmm. this has just been ingrained into me. Maybe it's because we started our duck hunting with such crappy steel. But my dad ingrained in my head, we just, I mean, we're here to decoy ducks. We don't pass shoot. I mean, we just, it's as conservative as you could possibly get. And so I'm assuming that's why these numbers are the same, because I'm all bought in that business is better than bismuth is better than steel. I was using the shorties, the fives, the business mm-hmm. of boss, and I, and I loved it. But my numbers for four years, and I don't have them in front of me, so I don't know exactly what they are, but I keep shooting percentage. I keep number of shots fired. I keep um, how many cripples. Um, all of that stuff. I had, third, I had 60 hunts in two years with the bismuth, 60 hunts in two years with the steel. I was using twos mostly. So for teal, I typically use sixes. 
and then as the this is for seal as the bigger ducks start showing up the gray ducks i'll move down to fours and then i'll either move to a three or a two but i'm my numbers for the two, for the 60 hunts with bismuth and then 60 hunts for steel were almost perfectly identical and the only thing i can think is just i'm shooting them in so close is that's three or maybe that was an anomaly i mean you're that's fairly good sample size I mean, I shot approximately between 80 to 100 ducks on each of those years. So, I mean, the numbers are, it's not like it's, a, I mean, you like to get up to 1,000 with your sample size, but it's not, that's hmm. not an insignificant sample size. My numbers were just almost down to the number identical. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, we've hunted together and, and I've hunted with you, you know, the way you hunt. And, you know, yeah, you're very conservative and you're, you're, you don't like taking long shots. I don't like taking long shots either. And, and so I think that definitely the range has something to do with it. Um, the, the, the marksmanship has something to do with it. There's no doubt because, you know, uh, we're talking about a pattern that is probably depending upon what, what you've, you know, the distance that you're actually shooting. And, and if you are dialed in properly, you know, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you've got a 30 inch or larger, you know, deal, then compared to you've really got a tight pattern, no matter what you're shooting and you're close, then, you know, that's just what it is. If you're, if you're marked, if you're a marksman and you're really good at shooting and you've got a tight pattern, then it almost doesn't matter what you're shooting. And I've told, I, I say this on my videos, if you're, if you're shooting ducks in the timber and they're landing coming in and trying to land that's a close shot steel shot's going to do what you need it to do right you know if you're if you are shooting a lot of ducks inside 25 yards steel shot it doesn't matter what steel shot it is mm -hmm. probably the cheap you stuff kill it it'll kill it and yeah. and so that's why i say you know people kind of like well you you just want to shoot the expensive stuff and 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 it's like i have enough i have shot enough and i have seen enough guys shoot Here's what I know, okay? The, the marksmanship is super important. You can't just look at a guy and go, and, and I mean, people say, well, I did this or I did this or this is my experience. I, you know, unless I know how you really shoot, it's hard for me to believe, you know, what you say because, you know, honestly, uh, the, the skill level is, it's, it's all anecdotal. I mean, that's what they call all this. It's, it's anecdotal. And so are you hitting them, hitting the birds with a full pattern? Or are you hitting them with the edge of the pattern? You know, because if you consistently, most people will shoot consistently, you know, I mean, if they, they, if they've hunted very much, the way they mount their gun and the, and the timing in which they pull the trigger, they are either center hole punching the duck with the whole pattern or they're hitting them with the edge. And that's just the way they shoot. Do you always have cripples? Then that's probably how you shoot. So maybe you need to dial it in. Maybe you need to pattern your gun a little bit and see, are you off a little bit? Are you just a little off, off to the left and up a little bit? Maybe that why your, your pattern, mm -hmm. you're hitting them with the edge of the pattern. And so, um, but you know, with, with all the data that I come up with and the, what I'm trying to share with people is what is the most effective for the masses? When I watch right. people duck hunt, they, they, you know, coming with me, the majority of the people that are the, are the least experienced benefit the greatest from using better quality ammunition. 
because sense. you can, you know, TSS or bismuth or tungsten all has more energy. And so if you miss them a little bit, but you still hit them, you're likely to knock them down. Okay. Uh, steel shot, you're more likely to cripple the bird. If you are consistently shooting at 30 plus yards, um, you will, unless you are just a jam up shot and have tons of experience and have your gun dialed in, the majority of people would benefit from shooting something other than steel shot. Um, I, I see a big difference in my shooting when I shoot, um, other non-toxic solutions than, or steel, you know, bismuth and tungsten and TSS. I'm better with all of them than I am with steel. I have less cripples. Um, when I do shoot a cripple on the water, it's dead and I'm not having to shoot it again and again and again. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, there you have it. Part two with Joel Strickland from surviving duck season. I hope that you are as interested in this content as I am. Again, if you have not seen that series from Joel, go to surviving duck season, check it out. We are going to be coming back next week with part three with Joel, as we move on with a little more talk on the gunning series and also what he's got going on. And he is living the dream. I'm telling you down there in Arkansas, duck hunting capital of the world. He is living the dream. So make sure to tune back in for episode number three, with Joel Strickland next week. Until next time, don't forget, go over to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting for extra freelance duck hunting content and North American Waterfowler podcast content and get enrolled for a chance to come and hunt with me and to come be on the podcast with me. Until next time, I'm Elliot, and this is another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast.